the dog kept trying to come in. She sits there and noses at the door and just, you know, keep knocking at it, basically. Does your dog have super intelligence? (laughs) No, no, she's stupider than shit. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. Here you go, Paul. Here's, uh, since you like crypto so much, have you ever seen this? I don't know what you're sending. I didn't see anything. I put it in the in the chat. Yeah, oh, there it is. Okay. <laughs> oh, well, Clark really oh, moves his right. lips. I use super ventriloquism. Hold it, Lars. <laughs> oh, my God. That's horrible. <laughs> that's even awful. as a kid, even as the dumbass kid that I was, that was a bridge too far right there. I read that. I'm like, come on, really? Yeah, it's it's just as ridiculous as it looks. Why is, too. Why is Lois surprised he's speaking English? Doesn't she think Clark is saying that? Well, something had happened to where Crypto could speak and Clark could, I don't know, he could only bark or something, something stupid. So So the dog had to speak for him. And that's how he protects Clark's secret identity because Lois wasn't expecting Clark to actually be able to talk because she thought he was Superman and she knew Superman had been affected by this red kryptonite that made him, I don't know, bark like a dog or some ridiculous <laughs> damn thing. I don't know. Bark like a but dog like... for me. More <laughs> green because you thought you could hide. I remember a, uh, a Superman comic when I was younger where he was on a cruise with Lois and others and Clark was just in a swimsuit and yet he wasn't the muscle bound Superman. And it was like, what the hell what's going on here? And I think J David Weider <laughs> said to me is because he's doing a super uh, hypnosis thing that he does to everybody when he does something like that, which is why they never really figure out that Clark Kent is Superman. Yeah. And I'm just like, I never heard of that. And that just that that whole scene was just like, okay, he's in a swimsuit. Doesn't anybody see? He's like, no. And he didn't look like he there's, was super muscle bound. It was it was messed up. It was a Kurt Swan. There's an issue out there. I I couldn't tell you what issue it is. I think it's an issue of Superman. You'd have to hunt it up. But but that first came into play. <laughs> in an issue of, uh, I think it's Superman, and it's Superman's on the cover. He's in his costume, but he's wearing his glasses. And he's pointing at his face, and he's yelling at Lona Lang, and it's something like, look, you dumb bitch, I'm Clark Kent over here, type of thing. And that was the story that explained why people never figured it out, is that Superman had been on some, yeah, on some subconscious level, because the lenses in the glasses came from Krypton, he was like using super hypnosis on people all the time when he was wearing the glasses 
to convince them that he he wasn't Clark. It's just ridiculous. But that's yeah, it's well, what they. Yeah, and that's that's what what David was talking David was talking about. Yeah, Clark really wanted to uh, throw people off. He should have like a a high tech Kryptonian fat suit he'd wear. So he as Clark he would look like he weighs four hundred pounds. And then he just whips that off and he's Superman. See so. Yeah, I think nose it was glasses. That's all he Superman, needs. Nose glasses. Superman three sixty one. Yeah, Superman three sixty one. I mean, he's even yeah, wearing they, like blue trunks with a red stripe on them. And uh, <laughs> it's it's the one where they got the um, Captain Strong on the cover being thrown against a purple sweat monster or some type. Right. <laughs> well, I always like Burns' explanation when he was doing it was that when he as Superman he was always vibrating his face so that mm-hmm. if he ever it was always looked blurry if anybody took a picture of him so nobody knew what Superman looked like. Well, you know, this is funny because somebody yeah. knocks him into the pool and he has to reach down into his trunks. It looks like he's reaching for his junk <laughs> to get his suit, which is super compressed out in there. Wow. If I could vibrate um, my face, I'd be the highest paid gigolo on the planet. Okay, all right. <laughs> all right. Are we ready to go? We are. Here we go. Funding for this program is made possible by robbing liquor stores. Welcome to Back to the Bins. My name is Scott Garter. I am joined, as always, by my very good pal, Paul Spataro. Sleepy Paul Spataro. No, no, don't don't link me with other people with the name like that. <laughs> <laughs> and we are joined once again by the fellas over at Third Degree Burn. Name copyright Scott Gardner, 2015. <laughs> I keep oh, forgetting you, I came up with that. You, apparently, you came up with that name, and that that is just the great. It's like the B sharps on The Simpsons. It's funnier, but less funnier each time you say it. Well, now you're just giving him ownership of our IP on the air. Oh, come no, on. <laughs> no, but this, getting... this, is, this is the adventures of Third Degree Burn when it was a boy, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> <That's fine>. <laughs> <laughs> so oh this my. time around for the show, we are looking at the fourth and final chapter of... Uh, of a story, I, I'm hesitant to give the name of the overall uh, arc on this because it's kind of a dead giveaway for where we're headed with the whole thing. But uh, this is a crossover between uh, Burns, Superman, and uh, the Legion of Superheroes. Do we have any thoughts or anything before we uh, go ahead and jump into this final chapter? Are, are you going to actually introduce this by weeks. name? <laughs> well, I, I thought you guys would introduce yourselves. <laughs> As you did not, I will. I will introduce you. Uh, we have uh, Brian Hughes and Tim Elliott from. You don't know it, but right now I'm injecting myself with something. Oh wait, that's insulin. Excuse me. All right, speedy. It's important. My co-host is a junkie. I can see the cover now. Yeah, I can. <laughs> I can see how Neil Adams would draw that one. It has to. Right. <laughs> I got it from watching right, you. So I'm going to go ahead and dive into the synopsis on this one. So here we go, folks. Strap in. All right. So we are looking at Legion of Superheroes, Volume 3, Number 38. That's the Baxter series, by the way. Uh, cover date on this is September 1987. It was actually on sale on the stands, according to uh, Mike's Amazing World of Comics, 
on June 9th, 1987. Cover price on this is $1.50. Cover is by Bill Sankevic, and uh, I love it. It is a great cover. Uh, the cover copy is very simple. It just says the greatest hero of them all. And you don't actually see the Legionnaires. Um, well, you're seeing them in silhouette. The sun is shining very, very brightly behind them as the Legionnaires stand uh, uh, I don't know, on a precipice or on a rock or something. They're standing on a hill. Uh, they have a flag blowing in the breeze behind them, and you just see their silhouettes. So the only two that are really distinct as to who they are definitely is uh, Superboy and Dawnstar. The others are just kind of male figures in the background, so we don't see exactly who they are. But it's just I, – I love this cover. It's great. And uh, we'll be talking more about that uh, when we get to the notes section on this. Uh, this issue is written by Paul Levitz. Greg Larock and Mike DiCarlo are the artists. John Costanza Letterer, Carl Gafford Colorist. Arn Starr is the uh, ink assist. Karen Berger is the editor. And there's a nice little uh, dedication on the inside of the book dedicated to the memory of ENB, that's E. Nelson Bridwell, in the hope that he would have approved. And I can't help but wonder what E. Nelson Bridwell would have made of this story. Uh, the story, as stated on this glorious cover, is entitled The Greatest Hero of Them All. So, synopsis as follows. The time stream, somewhere in the 20th century. Still reeling from recent adventures and revelations, Legionnaires Brainiac 5, Sunboy, the Invisible Kid, Block, and Superboy whiz backward through the years on their way back to Smallville of the late 1950s. Block asks how they can be sure they are headed to the true Smallville, meaning Superboy's Smallville, and why should the Time Trapper allow them safe passage? Brainiac 5 believes that it is perhaps because Superboy is among them and ventures theories that set Invisible Kid's head to spinning. Superboy, still feeling guilty for his betrayal of the Legion, relates to them the whole reason for his actions. It seems that immediately upon returning to Smallville from his last adventure in the 30th century with the Legion, during which his blood served as a catalyst for permanently curing Monel of his deadly lead poisoning, uh, see Legion of Superheroes Volume 3, number 23, and Back to the Bins episode number 443, in which we talked about it, Superboy's hometown began to experience red skies, earthquakes, floods, fires and natural disasters of every description that were indicative of one sure thing. The crisis on infinite earths had arrived in his timeline. Superboy tries valiantly to combat the crisis spawned storms, but to no avail, his incredible superpowers are simply no match for the phenomenon ripping through the multiverse. Then a wall of antimatter emerged from the storm and started destroying everything it came in contact with. Inch by inch, the antimatter wave was disintegrating his adopted planet and there was nothing he could do. Analyzing it with his supervision, Superboy determines it is headed straight for the center of Smallville. Stealing himself, the lad from Krypton decided to fly straight at it, desperation driving him to try anything at that point. And that's when he appeared the Time Trapper, telling the teen not to throw his life away until he's heard what the Trapper has to say. 
We segue from Superboy's telling of the flashback to the Time Trapper relating the same tale to the still-frozen Legionnaires Ultra Boy, Cosmic Boy, Night Girl, and Mon-El, somehow magically transported to Smallville High and into their costumes from when we saw them last? Uh, anyway, he tells the group of how he made Superboy an offer he couldn't refuse, a device capable of staving off the crisis and saving his precious Smallville, all in exchange for the Teen of Steel's loyalty, of course, in assisting the Trapper in his scheme to defeat the Legion of Superheroes and bring about the end of time itself. Superboy and Brainiac's team arrives in Smallville, where Brainiac 5 has rigged up a simulated stasis beam that he zaps himself and the other Legionnaires with in order that Superboy can deliver them to the Trapper. But this stasis field is easily broken with a little concentration, so it's all a ploy to get within possible striking distance of the Time Trapper. Superboy tells of how he'd planned to stop the Time Trapper and save the Legionnaires once he'd been assured that the Earth was permanently safe from the effects of the crisis all along, but now, with his friends beside him, he says, I've got a better chance of pulling it off. To himself, he thinks, I have to do it for Mon Pa Kent and everybody. Of all the worlds I could have landed on after Krypton's destruction, I don't think there's another as beautiful as Earth. I'm not going to let it perish, too. Superboy delivers the four Legionnaires to the Trapper in the Smallville High School Gymnasium. To conclude their agreement, the Trapper materializes a huge blaster and hands it to Superboy, ordering him to kill his friends. If they're such great heroes, says the Time Trapper, surely they won't mind dying to save your world. Disgusted, Superboy crumples the weapon and hurls it at the Time Trapper where it easily passes through his immaterial form. And I thought you loved your Earth, the villain taunts. Now you'll have to watch it disintegrate. Superboy says it's over their dead bodies and aided by the entire contingent of his teammates, now all freed from stasis by Brainiac 5, the Legion of Superheroes attacks the Time Trapper. However, it is all to no avail. They cannot harm the Time Trapper. He offers Superboy one last chance to join him in siding against the Legion or he will deactivate the device that is postponing the death of Superboy's Earth. Superboy, enraged, rejects both options and lashes out at the madman. But his attack succeeds in smashing the very device holding his cherished world intact. After a brief interlude to check on events in the 30th century, we return our attention to Smallville where we are treated to scenes of the Legionnaires rescuing civilians from the encroaching crisis on infinite Earths. The Trapper, meanwhile, satisfies himself that while this isn't exactly what he had in mind, the simple fact that the cosmic of people will wipe away the cream of the Legion crop is enough for him. After some taunts and exchanges with Brainiac 5, the Trapper departs, laughing at the doomed Legionnaires. Brainiac 5's mind boggles at the revelation that this never was their past. It was all a game masterfully manipulated by the Time Trapper. Every time they'd traveled into the past, the Trapper shunted them here to this alternate pocket dimension and Superboy's Smallville. But their real past, the timeline they're actually a part of, is Superman's. A Superman they'd just met and who had never been Superboy. 
Cosmic Boy grabs and tries to shake Brainiac 5 out of his self-recriminations for never having detected this manipulation. It doesn't matter, says Cosmic Boy, only Brainiac 5 can fix the machine. But he can't. When he tries, he is violently expelled. There's nothing really broken, Brainiac 5 reveals. He says, except the containment vessel, and there's no way to fix it. Yes, there is, Brainy, says the Boy of Steel, streaking past them. If what's needed is something to channel the energies, he says, plugging himself into the circuit, I'm it. Superboy screams as cosmic forces rip through his body. The Legionnaires instantly realize that he's trying to hold the device together bodily, replacing the broken unit with himself. But even Superboy can't stand those energies for long. They're killing him. Superboy's big brother Monel and his friend Ultra Boy race in to save him, but he blasts them back with a gust of super breath. This is his world. Maybe this is why he was sent here. If he can save it, he will, no matter what it takes. The energies rip through him again and he screams, screams so loud and painfully that all of Smallville hears him. His best friend Pete Ross, his girlfriend Lana Lang, and his foster parents Jonathan and Martha Kent. Don't cry, Ma, Pa Kent tells her. He might hear us. Finally, agonizingly, it is over. I'm done, Superboy whimpers, and he collapses as the Earth is pulled away to somewhere safe. Monel rushes in and collects Superboy in his arms, confirming that the Earth has indeed been saved. The Legionnaires pile into the time bubble, attempting to flee, hopefully before it's too late for them to ever escape as this entire reality shifts. Superboy, torn, tattered, and injured, grabs hold of the bubble, stating that he has to do this, that he can't let the trappers stop them from getting back to their world. I always could travel through time, get to your metropolis on my own. Maybe because of something the trapper did to me, or maybe it was the time beacon, or maybe just because I always could do anything I really truly had to do. Superboy plunges into the time stream and painfully straining forces the bubble through the turbulence between realities one last time, arriving in the 30th century of the Legion of Superheroes, where he collapses. Superboy, dying, rasps out one last request to mon Take care of Earth for me. It was the nicest home a boy could want. Smashing into the Legion HQ, running through the hallways to the med lab, sadly it is too late, and Monel falls, clutching the lifeless body of his little brother and crying for the loss of Superboy. Sometime later, the Legionnaires gather, awaiting the start of a service. Brainiac 5 remarks how strange it is that this now marks the end of time travel and that he supposes that he never really found a way to travel through time at all. The White Witch reports that her enchantments cannot locate Superboy's Earth, but she senses that it is safe. Polar Boy arrives, and the ceremony starts. We lost one today, Legionnaires, he says. The best of us. And somehow, someday, soon. We're going to find out if an immortal, meaning the Time Trapper, can die in return. And on a glorious two-page final double splash, the Legionnaires stand over the photon tube containing the remains of the greatest hero of them all and pay their respects. So I am dying to know what you guys thought of this. Now, who who's reading this for the first time? I am. You are? Yeah. What'd Me you too. think? 
Uh, I liked it. I mean, uh, I thought the story was was interesting. Uh, I did have a question. I never thought of me until I was listening to your uh, synopsis, which was very good, by the way. Uh, Thank you. When Superboy grabs them and they, you know, after he's saved the, his, you know, the pocket, his pocket Earth, and, he's, and, and they're in the time bubble, and he jumps out and closes the door, and he says he has to do it. Up to now, we have not shown anything about how we have assumed when they were jumping from the prime t- prime timeline to the pocket timeline, that was a, the time trapper doing it. And it seems to be he's saying, I need to do, I need to do this so that we make sure we get back to your future because we may, they don't know if the time trapper is going to be uh, monkeying with it again. Right. But we've never seen, up until now, we haven't seen anything that there was something they could tell when they're traveling through time that the divergence or where the two timelines connected. So how is he seeing anything or how does he know to go right instead of left? You know, I mean, to go from one timeline to the other, because. Right. When the, when the time trapper, when they were traveling, when the Legion was traveling back in time, they never saw anything like that because the trapper was shunting him off to the pocket universe. Um, and I'm assuming when they went back, he would have to shunt them back into their prime timeline and let them go to the future. So I just thought that was a little up to now. It seemed like Trapper was the one who was making him jump back and forth. Superboy but, had made the trip himself so many times over the years. For him, it would seem like uh, just a, a natural thing. Right. But wouldn't he think that when he think you when you seems like he's he can sense or say something between the two timelines he can tell the difference yeah yeah i I, i'm following yeah it took me a minute but yeah i'm following you now because he would have to have some sort of way to tell because as we just saw in the prior chapter when things wrapped up they returned superman to his time which is in the prime timeline in the year 1987 they returned him there and then they went back to smallville and then they went back to the 30th century uh, again of the of the prime. So they would he would have to have some way to know, um, you know, which which reality he was in or whatever. But yeah, they don't they don't ever address that. But yeah, he he would have to have some way to tell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just bringing it up as a question makes my head hurt. So <laughs> I, I, I think I think that's probably why they avoided it for the most he, part. You don't want to read Omac anytime soon, or or the Ganthet's Tale. Yeah, those, those all hurt you then really bad. Well, he, he, they try to kind of explain it because he says something about well, the, since the trapper sent me or made me or something, uh, I'm the one that can do it. Um, yeah. Or, yeah, because maybe because something the time trapper did to me, or maybe it was the time beacon. I don't know what the time beacon is. Um, or maybe it was because I would that always was the do anything. That- it, when we when we started this read in in the prior issue of Legion Legion thirty seven, that's the thing that they're working on at the very beginning. It was beginning. broken, wasn't it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that gotcha. big that big tower. Yeah. So I might assume that when the Legion, you know, Brainiac and this says, well, I guess it never really was traveling in time, so he creates this time machine. Do they always only go back to Superboy's time? Do they not go to any other year? That's one of those. So in in the prior 
episode, you know, for the listeners, uh, make make sure that you're listening to uh, these episodes in in order. You'll be really confused. So uh, in, in our last chapter over on Third Degree Burn, we looked at uh, Action Comics 591. And this was one of the discussions that we had is that as, as good as this story is, in my opinion, um, it actually creates a number of problems. And, and that's that's definitely one of the problems that that gets created. Well, I mean, time travel and time paradox stories always create problems. And right. that's, to me, that's one of the things I actually enjoy about them is uh, even with the making my brain hurt thing. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, it, it, it really does make you sit there and just start piecing it together like a jigsaw puzzle in your brain. And sometimes it makes sense and sometimes it doesn't. And right. I, don't, I don't know, I, I find time travel stories to be just fascinating for that reason. I, I do too, and this this lends in also, I think, to your question before, Paul, about so are we to believe that this Superboy, the the one that we've experienced in this story, the one we just saw die, is he the same Superboy that we've been reading about since the '40s? You know, in in more fun and adventure comics and his own title and everything, is that the same one, or is he some sort of alternate universe version or, or, you know, a a creation of the, and I, I like that. I I feel that it's kind of up to your personal interpretation. Personally, I kind of like to believe that he is the same one, but believing that creates problems because he, he can be, but he also really can't be at the same time. So to, to answer Tim's question, you know, did the Legion ever visit other times? Absolutely, they did. Um, they what had interactions year? with Superman. They had interactions with Batman. Um, they're mm-hmm. they're in at least one issue that I can remember of Brave and the Bold. As, um, yeah, and DC Comics presents. Yeah, and DC Comics presents exactly. So, yeah, they you know they didn't just interact with Superboy in you know, in old time Smallville, they interacted with modern day DC, which means that, um, you know, that they were coming forward of Superboy's history to a point where he was Superman, except now he never was. He, he never will grow up to become. So who was the Legion interacting with? Well, and, and that brings up an interesting question. Now in the last story, in the Action Comics 591, when they're showing Superboy's rocket come to Earth, Jonathan and Martha are driving around in a Model T, basically saying that that's like right. 1908 or 20 years before Superman, Superboy would come out as Superman, which would be 1938. So it would be 1908, 1909, sometime around then right. is when he would have landed. And so that couldn't obviously be the Superboy you know, that would – be in the modern era see if it, but if it's if it's a pocket universe mm-hmm. i keep calling him the heroes reborn superboy um <laughs> then it, it just takes away some of the grandeur of this story right because you know he becomes just a, you know a not a character that's created for this just for the story but a a facsimile of a character that's just thrown right. forward to you so you could have a death of a story uh, as opposed to a very, very significant story where a character where we've known at this point for some 40 something years 
is killed off. That, right. I, I see and that as a very dramatic difference. Yeah, and that's why personally I I I choose to believe that it really is Superboy, you know, the the classic Superboy. And I think it's intended to be him as well. I, I really do. You know, paradoxes and and problems aside, you know, the disconnects and everything we've discussed, all of that aside, you're meant to be mourning the real Superboy, the classic yeah. Superboy that has existed since more fun comics 101. And that's why this story for me is a punch in the gut because, you know, as big a fan as I am of super Superman as a character, um, Superboy is right up there too. I mean, Superboy was, was a childhood hero for me. I loved those adventures and I loved reading them and, you know, the wackiness of Smallville and, you know, just the, the craziness of, you know, the different things that went on in those stories, but there's something about them that really fired my imagination as a kid. So this story has always been a real punch in the gut to me that, that this was the close of an era, which was what it was meant to be. This was meant Mm -hmm. to close the door on the pre-crisis stuff really forever to, to, you know, to finally, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, call it to a close and uh and i I think think it has a a real impact to it i think you hit the nail on the head there with one thing as far as you're concerned as far as i'm concerned because uh you and i are not too far off in age i was born in 66 you were what 69 or 78 and and so at this time we were you know I, i was 21 when this came out you were and you were just a few years younger but this guy was your contemporary in age. You grew up with him. Right. You grew up with him. And so he was easier for you to uh, associate with than rather, you know, Superman, who was always that older guy who was like 30 or whatever. Right. Right. And yep. and I because I, I, I did the same thing with Robin and Nightwing versus Batman. I, I was more in, in line with them back then than I was you know, with Batman, though Batman was one of my favorites. Now, in in this, uh, and we, I was talking just a moment about how, about how the time is off and that it shows he landed in like 1909, 1908. But they'd always done that at DC. When they were doing the Superboy stories, they always made it seem like it was longer, further in the past than it actually was well, for him to be, you know, Superboy yeah, to Superman. Yes, they Yes, they did. And uh, and I talked about that one time. I, I It's funny. I never really paid a lot of attention to it as a kid reading that stuff. I, I guess I just never really thought about it. But uh, there was – I can't remember what story it was. But there was a story I looked at on the Superman show that I, I sporadically do where it really hit me in one of the stories that the math just doesn't – oh, I know what it was. It was when DC shifted um, – they shifted Smallville at one point. I can't remember what year it was they did that, but there was there was one year, like at the back of one of the issues of Superboy, that they actually explained to you that in order to try to make things a little more contemporaneous, we're going to bump things forward. It was, I don't know, 10 or 20 years. They moved the timeline. So the the stories had been nebulously stuck in like the 30s or 40s, 
And now yeah. they were moving it to like nebulously like the 50s or 60s. And it still didn't and, match up though. Though that was for and the it new still Adventures didn't match. That was the Boy, funny. Right? Yeah, that was the funny thing. That yeah. I, yeah, that I pointed out in the episode is that if you start doing the math of okay, Superboy's got to be about this age, and I always went as as uh, you know as old as I possibly could or as young as I possibly could, doing the formula both ways, and neither way did the math work for Superman to be the age that he was supposed to be. So yeah, it was always funny, but. It's funny, I, I think I have an explanation for you as it relates to what we saw in this story with the Time Trappers flashback in Action 591. You know, you mentioned the Model T and everything like that. Mm-hmm. I suspect in light of Superman, Batman generations, mm-hmm. that that was burn kind of nodding to the source material and not for the moment caring so much about strict continuity that he was acknowledging the fact that when Superboy first came along in the comics back in, again, back in more fun, I'm struggling to remember what year that was. I want to say like 1940, 41, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking about adventures of this, you know, this young character that are now happening prior to action comics number one coming out mm-hmm. so you know you're talking early 30s or you know, maybe mid th- something like that so you know the the kents may have very likely been driving a model t because it's that was contemporaneous with the with the setting and the stories that they were telling so I think it was Byrne kind of acknowledging that and, and playing with that and and not being so hung up on, on a strict timeline because there were other little things that we noted in the story that where the math didn't exactly work. You know, they were in 1958 Smallville, yet the Superman that they were dealing with was in 1987. Well, that that math doesn't work. That's 29 years between those two years the character himself is supposed to be about 29 years old. And you've, right. you know, now you've got a gap between, you know, a teenage Superboy and Superman of, of exactly that length of time. It doesn't work. So, yeah. And there, there was a lot of that sort of thing. And I don't know. I mean, it's funny for me because I've always been the continuity guy. I love tight continuity and, and, I, and it kind of bugs me when the continuity isn't real tight, but, in instances like this, I actually kind of sort of go the other way to almost the Bob Haney philosophy is, eh, who really cares? So long as the story is yep. fun, you know, I'm not so hung up on it. So, well, I think you can you can you can appreciate continuity, and I do, but you have to deal with the t- sliding time scale because it never it's never gonna the, the math's never gonna add up. Right. But right. they kind of know it just more about this is how it happened in these like in in more of a. Uh, uh, linear fashion this happened and this happened this happened i don't that's the continuity i like not necessarily well you know peter parker's been swinging around spider-man you know for 20 years and he only looks like he's age two so right. that that you know that's that's the same time scale they can turn you and mcgregor into uh alec guinness you know so uh in 19 years right. <laughs> but right i think uh, i think if you try to just you know if you're trying to put which is odd that in the last issue, Burn, you don't you don't have exact dates in comics, but Burn, you know, set that one in 1987, you know, strictly mm-hmm. 
when it was. They usually don't have that. But um, when was uh, okay? This came out in '87. How long had there been? When was the last time Superboy was in his own book, publishing wise? Had it been ten years or more? Just recently, uh, he he was the Adventures of Superboy's only yeah. ended like two years before, didn't it? Uh, it would have been right when the cry, yeah, because it was still going right up, pretty much okay. right up until the crisis. Because okay, so they were going a, through, yeah, he was still a recurring character. So that if yes, you read this, yeah. it wouldn't have been like you hadn't seen him in a while. Okay, you know what's funny? It never really occurred to me before, but uh. Superboy is strangely absent from the Crisis on Infinite Earths, and I and that never that thought never occurred to me before. Um, that's because they that's had that odd. Superboy Prime in there, and they didn't want to confuse yeah. them. It's probably that plus at that point you're already dealing with three Superman, you know, versions of Superman. You're dealing with Earth One, Earth Two, and the one you just mentioned, the Superboy of Earth Prime. So. Yeah, to throw Superboy that was just simply a younger version of the exact same Earth-1 Superman would have probably really muddied up the story. But it is interesting just in the fact of he was a big character, you know, and he had a title. And, you know, DC kind of prided themselves that anybody that was anybody was in Crisis on Infinite Earths, but he's not. The last of, issue of New Adventures of Superboy came out in March of 1984. Four. Okay. So he, <clears throat> so he wouldn't have been okay. So he was still in the the readers' minds, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think if 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 I remember properly, um, he and Supergirl were supposed to. They were. I think Supergirl had ended. And they were going to relaunch both of them in a title that they would share. And the name of that title is completely eluding me at the moment. And it didn't happen because they got the approval to bump off Supergirl in Crisis, which they did. And that's why that title didn't happen. So that's why Superboy didn't have a title at the time that Crisis happened. Because New Adventures had ended with the intention of launching this new title and then it, it just never materialized. And Supergirl 23 came out in June of 1984. So it was like right around the same time. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. They were, they were basically, they were going to pull a Superman family, but just with those two characters, they, they were going to, they, they canceled both of their books with the intention that they would launch a new book that they would share. And then it just never happened. I got a question for Paul. Uh, yep. when Superboy uh, delivers the other four Legion uh, members to the Time Trapper, he says, "Okay, my okay, I've I've fulfilled my end of the contract." And and then the, the Trapper's Hepburn is like, "Well, I could send you to the 30th century and get more, but I'm not going to be, uh, you know, I'm not going to be, uh, uh, I'm not going to be selfish." He then says, uh, "Okay, well, here, just do this. Take this gun and shoot him and kill him." In my room, I have a gun. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm just wondering. We'll kill him. It'll be fun. <laughs> Would that hold up in court? I mean, the, the <laughs> trapper, the trapper changing the bargain. I mean, Superboy well, has fulfilled his contract, right? Has he? Well, the time trapper is, is 
setting forth the theory that he did not fulfill his contract because he said, I could send you back for the other legionnaires. So now I I don't have the terms of the contract in front of me to examine, but I assume that the original agreement was that he was going to deliver the entire legion. Um, So I thought it was just the eight um, core characters. So I think what, what he's saying is you owe me the whole legion, but I will accept the death of these legionnaires in exchange and we'll call your your end of the bargain fulfilled yeah it's kind of like vader altering the uh the, altering the bargain with uh lando pray i don't bar- change it any further <laughs> exactly All right yeah it's funny you you mentioned gut punch um on all this because and and you also made the comment about the photon tube that that superboy <laughs> was in because it 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 made me think about how I felt when Star Trek three came out and they killed David. Uh, spoilers right. for anybody who hadn't seen the 35 year old movie. Um, <laughs> but him, <laughs> you know, the, the thing was that was such a gut punch, both this, the death of Superboy and the death of David that, you know, I put the book down and I didn't read Legion again. That it, physically hurt and when star trek 3 did you know did that with david that ruined that movie for the first the first time i watched it you know and it took me like i think a year or so later watching it again to be able to sit through it all the way through and not let that affect me and so i never went back to the legion books because of it i just they killed Superboy. I was pissed. I was mad. I was, you know, it just didn't do it for me. And then any time that, that, you know, anybody talks about Legion afterward, you know, afterwards, whether it's five years later, or whatever, I'm just like, nah, can't do it. Nope. Mm-mm. See, now to me, and I'm going to, I'm going to run with your tangent for a second. The reason the death of David bothered me even more than it, than I thought it normally would was Savick's delivery of, David is dead. Oh. Uh, now, I, I understand she's supposed to be withholding her emotions and all, and that's why she says it so matter-of-factly, but there should be something where she's fighting Affected. to keep that emotion in a little. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't right. portray it that way. I, th- I think, actually, I, I still think that Kirstie Alley was a far better Savick for that reason. Absolutely. Absolutely. But David just dying right there like that. Um, I, I, I just felt like it, 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 it ruined the movie for me at the time. And again, you know, it took other watchings in order to be able to sit back and enjoy the movie for what it is. But that right there just, ugh. Well, I would say it hit me more because of, I was, I was feeling it vicariously through Kirk. It wasn't so much that, because we'd only seen David in, the last film and this film and the last film he was kind of and kind of an arrogant kind of a kind of a jerk mm-hmm. um it softened him a little bit number three but yeah, but more, he used proto matter that's right <laughs> but it's more <laughs> kirk's reaction you know he kind of stumbles back and falls i think that's one of the greatest star trek moments yeah. the way he falls yeah. back so I, that's where i'm that's where the, that's where i'm connecting with kirk because kirk realizes he's kind of just discovered his son again and maybe they have some maybe they've got a future and then suddenly he's gone um so that was kind of my gut punch. Well, uh, you know, I just definitely... go ahead. 
Go ahead, Scott. Because it's like I was just gonna say, I, I will definitely back you up in. You know, one one of my biggest notes on this issue is that the Legion never recovers from this. And I mean that in a number of ways. Uh, I I don't think they were ever as strong again, but they never recover from this in the sense of they're they're never the same entity. I I think that uh, Levitz and, you know, subsequent writers and, you know, subsequent creators that worked on the many different incarnations of the Legion that would come after this because um, spoilers, I mean, they, they get rebooted umpteen times after this to try to deal with the fact that, you know, they're simply not connected to the Superman mythos anymore. They're not inspired by the legend of Superboy anymore. That that this ending um, pretty quickly gets retconned away, unfortunately. And because of that, because of their disconnect from Superboy, from Superman, from really being a part, you know, a central part of that origin, um, they're just never the same entity again. Because not only do they lose Superboy, but then eventually, um, because they have to end up dealing with it, they have to deal with Monel. If Superboy never existed, who is Monel? And so his origin ends up fundamentally changing to where he's not even the same character anymore. And <clears throat> I think it would have been hard enough for the Legion to lose Superboy, but losing both Superboy and Monel uh, is is a blow that just devastates the the title. And they just never really got it together again. That's not to say that there weren't other good Legion stories ever, because there were some really good Legion stories even past this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's never the same again. And let, I, let I was never you, as invested in the team again as I was, you know, when when it was the classic Legion. Well, I, I mean, the thing is, is that starting from the point where, where Keith Giffen joined right after Bruce, Bruce Patterson left and they... They started the Great Darkness Saga from there. There was such a, a, an elegant building of the Legion universe in the, the, the language of way Keith Giffen would frame every every scene. You could sit there and find a hundred little things in the artwork that he did on, on the Legion books that he did. And it was just it was framing and giving you this gigantic universe. And there was a cohesiveness and continuity of it that, you know, started to get whittled away after he left. Lytle came in and then Rock here and then other artists. And I know he came back in what, five years later or whatever. But I know that it, it, I don't think Paul Levitz was a part of that. Paul Levitz stayed on the book for like two more years up to the 60s and then came in back at 100 but, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, there was never that cohesiveness in that, that well-built universe after this happened. Right. No, I, I completely agree with you. And it's funny you mentioned that era because that, that era when Keith Giffen came in and really built the Legion into, you know, one of, one of if not the... Uh, best title that DC was doing at that time in the 80s. I've always been struck with the irony of the fact that DC worked so hard, so hard 
chasing the uncanny X-Men success of Marvel and, and trying to duplicate that in-house. And they chose the, the uh, new Teen Titans to be their go-to to, to try to chase that success and to mirror that success when the Legion was right there primed and ready for them, staring them in the face and somehow just never ascended, you know, to, to that level that it really should have because the work that they were doing on Legion, I mean, and and it gained all kinds of new followers. There's a lot of people I know that are Legion fans because of that Giffen stuff, you know, in the And And it did ascend though, to a large extent, because if you remember, uh, you know, when when they first went to the Baxter books, it was it was Titans and Legion, mm-hmm. right? Which I, so I they, meant so to they, ask, were, they were putting a push on it. I, I meant to ask, you know, the the Legion books, the way it was working was they would get the Baxter book, and then a year later they'd reprint it in the regular Legion title. Right. Did they even do that right. with this? Did, had they already stopped that? Because I don't think they, this got reprinted. I think by the time this came out, they had stopped. Yeah, they had already yeah. stopped, unfortunately. Yeah, this this never got the uh, the newsstand. Uh, well, did this have any... Since, since Superboy was gone, and I assume moving forward there was no more time travel, so everything took place in the 29th century, or the you know, 29th century. Yeah. Is it maybe because uh, they uh, had... Uh, or is that not right? No, no, on a quick recollection, I think that's right. I, I don't think they allowed time travel again for for quite, you know, as far as going backward to so they, in time. For a so while. they didn't inter, probably did not interact with the other mainstay DC characters. So they were kind of in their own world through the rest of their because this is issue thirty eight. This series ends at sixty three. I want to say. Um, I mean, this is really testing the brain muscle, but to my recollection, I, I don't think they do interact with the greater DC universe again after this well, point. I, I mean, that could be something that hindered their, maybe DC wasn't pushing, but that could hinder their, cause that means this is a, like a standalone storyline. You can't, it can't inter, you know, the Titans can interact with everybody else in DC. These but guys no, I, are all I, right. It was one I wasn't collecting, but didn't they do a whole you know, a, a very long run where at least part of the Legion was stuck in current day. That That's way down the road. That's after the reboots. And actually, I think that's after a couple reboots. But yes, they, they did do that. But that's way down the road. That was just titled Legion, right? I thought it was called like or Legion, Legion eighty six or eighty seven or something like that. I yeah, it was there was called Legion, Legion Lost, Lost uh, miniseries and and yeah, there there was because I remember in one of the anniversary issues of of Superman, you know, post crisis Superman, it's a hundred. I think it's a hundredth issue of some title. I can't remember which one. Um, the Legion is featured in that in a in a crossover. So I mean, they do eventually. Uh, gain the ability to travel through time again and they do interact with like modern day Superman and stuff like that but what I'm saying is for for this incarnation of of the Legion because what happens is this this series goes all the way through issue 63 the title ends and then they relaunch with a new Legion title and they do a time jump five years into the future um, and then shortly into that run, like within like a dozen issues into that run, they reboot the Legion 
and that goes for a while and then they end up rebooting it again uh down the road and you know several things happen during which also um the uh the zero hour event happens which further changes the legion and alters the legion from where they were and briefly they reunite with superboy it's i think on a quick recollection i think that's the only time uh Superboy's ever you know, pre-crisis Superboy is ever seen or mentioned again after this story is when he pops up briefly during uh, during the Zero Hour event. He he pops up in Valor, I think, or, or yeah, I think it's in Valor, which was an offshoot title of Legion. It was essentially Monel's book, but Monel had be and and rebooted. Uh, to be a different character called Valor. And then as an offshoot of that, there's an issue of Superboy, the clone Superboy, you know, the uh, the post-death of Superman Superboy, uh, you know, the one that wears the leather jacket. Yeah, he ends up, Yeah, he ends up fighting with the pre-crisis Superboy in one story uh, that was a zero-hour event issue. And then he, I think if I remember properly, at the end of that, he kind of fades from from existence again or something. He doesn't die necessarily, but he just kind of returns to, you know, nothingness that he came from. So, yeah, the, the Legion stuff gets, re- I mean, as convoluted as it already is right here, it gets really convoluted later on to a point where, as invested as I am, I have trouble keeping straight everything, you know, all the continuities and everything, because it just... As I say, they the Legion never recovers from this, and they make a dozen course corrections trying to bring it back and trying to recapture the glory days and trying to fix the continuity holes and that sort of thing, and it never quite works. It never quite gels the same way again. But again, that's not to say there's not good stuff. There is. It's just it's of a different flavor. So, so ultimately, do you... Do you, does this story lose points for the fact that it ruined the Legion? That's the funny thing, because I've debated the same thing with my, you know, my my all time favorite comics. Anything is Crisis on Infinite Earths, and I've ha- I've asked myself the same questions of Legion. I love Earth Two. I've always loved Earth Two. I you know I love those characters. I love the concept. So many great things happen. And because of the crisis, Earth 2 was eliminated. So you would think I would hate crisis for that reason, and I don't. But I've debated that with myself. Like, you know, when all said and done, all the things that were done down the road and everything, was it was it worth the cost of crisis or of Earth, you know, losing Earth 2 for crisis, which ultimately has been shit upon so many times that, you know, it, it almost it's almost become inconsequential now. They they've basically undone it. So was it worth it? And it's kind of it's kind of something I, I can't really answer because this story here, the death of Superboy, I mean, honestly, I no exaggeration, I hold this up as one of the great uh the great Superboy slash Superman stories. It's it's one of my favorite it may just be my my favorite post-crisis superman story i just i think it's epic in scope i think it was grand in design i think it was very ballsy in what they were trying to accomplish 
Um, it works for the moment. It, it's, uh, it's, it's like one of those movies you go see and it works while you're watching it. And it's not until you walk away and start thinking about it. They're like, wait, that shit totally doesn't work. And that's what this story is. It's great while you're reading it. But when you start to think about it, it completely starts to fall apart. And that was the problem DC had is that they have smart, loyal fans that immediately started dissecting the story and, and finding all the holes in it. And that's where the problems start because then they start trying to fix those problems. And, you know, it's, it, you're pulling on a, you know, you're pulling the threads on a sweater at that point and it just unravels. But I think the other thing that hurts it so much is because of crisis, because of the death of Supergirl, and how incredibly powerful that was. Right. You know, that I mean, that right there was one of the single most powerful scenes in comics up to that point. Absolutely. And and for us to experience that and then get this a year or two later, it, 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 it almost seemed like an afterthought of it. And it, it, it lessened the the importance of it, whereas the impact was still like, ow, it was, it was a gut punch. But, you know, whereas it was with Supergirl in crisis, I wanted to see the revenge against the anti-monitor. I wanted to see the anti-monitor pay. And we never really got to see the payback here because no, no, we don't. The, the writing and everything went different directions. So we never saw that. And it, it kind of trivialized what happened here. They well, do think, eventually have an epic tussle with the time trapper. I want to say it's around issue 50. They do end up catching up with him and they do go after him for revenge and with the intention of taking him out. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is that even just those few issues later, they already don't remember this. Right. Because they inst- I mean, almost instantly divorce themselves from this story it, it, it's it's you know it, it quickly fades from memory well i think the one of the ballsiest things this story does beyond the fact that it kills superboy is if you look at that double page spread the the final you know pages of the book mm-hmm. at superboy's service if you look in the background there's the statues of the other dead legionnaires you got karate kid and some of the other ones invisible kid all the way over there on the left is Supergirl. She shouldn't be there, but she is. And I think that's really cool, but oh, wow, it's also yeah. very troubling because this, you know, this has already been retconned. So now they're, they're referencing something that technically shouldn't exist anymore. And again, that's where your problems come in. I find all that stuff fascinating because it, I mean, you can, you can seriously strain your brain trying to figure out how the hell would all this work, you know, in, in the time sense. And it, it really doesn't, there's a lot of it. You just kind of have to roll with, but that, I that's not like the most to... troubling thing though, Scott, the most troubling thing is duo damsel sitting there right in front of her hubs and husband saying, I loved him, you know, <laughs> But she did though. I, I I do like that reference because she did she did flirt heavily with Superboy in the in her early appearances. She Should was, have been a thought was, bubble. I mean, yeah. it's bad enough that he's a three hundred pound <laughs> dude named Chuck. <laughs> well, I was like, you know what that was that was when she was triplicate less, and it was the one that died that fooled around with her. Uh, 
Good call. Good call. Can't play these, like, these two. I like Monel's moment because I think this is very telling of his character. You know, I, I've said it before that by all rights, Monel should hate Superboy. Because if you ever go back and and it's funny because it would it was so often referenced, you know what happened to to Monel. You know he he popped up on Earth, um, you know he was mistaken for being Superboy's older brother. He's accidentally exposed to lead and and to save his life, Superboy sends him into the Phantom Zone. When you look at just the 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 Cliff Notes version of that story, it, it sounds so nice, you know. But if you actually read the original story, Superboy's a total dick to Monel. It's all Superboy's fault what happens to him. And the poor bastard ends up sentenced to a thousand years in the Phantom Zone simply because Superboy was a royal ass to him. So by all rights, Monel should actually kind of hate Superboy, but he doesn't. And I think that really speaks to his character. And I, I love the moment here at the end where he's standing there and he's he's kind of leaning on Superboy's coffin. And he says, you know, he called me his brother. He took me into his home uh, and he said he thought of me every day of his life. It's sweet that he has the that feeling and those memories for Superboy. I like that so much. But I'm glad they were never adversaries. I'm glad he didn't hate him. But it's just it is kind of funny because, you know, a, a lesser person or, or, or I think in a real world. He would absolutely despise him for what he did to him, but uh, but it's kind of yeah. Funny. Well, and, and you know the thing is because of what the time trapper did, there was no way for them to send any kind of anything back to Ma and Pa Kent, letting him know what happened. So that when Superman yes. revisits the pocket universe later, they're like he went off, and that was it. Last we heard, he's fine. He's happy over here. Don't worry. <laughs> If I could make one improvement to this story, the Did one thing. Work? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I like the artwork. I, I hate the inks, but I like the artwork. Um, but the, the one thing I, I really wish that they had done was literally, you know, here they're kind of figuratively, they've passed the baton. I, I would like them to literally pass the baton. I wish that they had given Burns Superman. Uh, this Superboy's cape somehow like been able to hand that off to him because if you remember Superman, you know the burn Superman, he had a an aura that his body emanated. It was basically excess solar energy that his body would emanate, and that was his invulnerability. And it only went just a little bit out from his body, so his cape was unprotected by his aura of invulnerability so that's why his cape was constantly being destroyed you know tattered and torn and sometimes you know destroyed altogether is because it wasn't <coughs> invulnerable this superboy's cape because it was the pre-crisis universe was completely indestructible and i, I always thought if they were going to do the indestructible cape thing which they tried to do at one point it hasn't happened yet in this in this point in continuity but eventually down the road the eradicator temporarily makes superman an indestructible cape if they were ever going to try to do that trope again that i would have liked to for it to have been this cape you know give it give it to superman and i'm, I'm kind of sad that they didn't go that route i thought that would have been a nice 
a nice gesture. Well, Firestorm could have done it. He did it for Starman. Well, couldn't Monel have taken up, kind of become a legacy character, taken up the mantle as and become Superboy? Or did he actually... kind of do that in Valor? That's what they tried to do, and you're right. That's what they should have done. Um, and unfortunately, the the problem is, is you know, how do you how do you make a legend? And that was kind of the problem is that they tried to fill that continuity hole. So when they get slightly rebooted uh, after the five year later thing, um, Monel now becomes a different character. He he becomes well, his real name is Largand. They hardly ever referred to him as that, but that was his actual real name. So what they do is they take Largand and historically they now make him the inspiration for the Legion because during the 20th century, Largand became this legendary superhero called Valor. Uh, and they actually launched a title called Valor, and it was the adventures of Largand in the 20th century. And these were the adventures that were so grand and so great that eventually they inspired the Legion to create themselves a thousand years later. The problem was the title really wasn't very good, and Largand never really did anything to earn uh, a legend that would carry a thousand years into the future. That was that was the problem with that character. So essentially they're trying to create the the new Superboy or the new Superman, but he never really does anything grand enough to earn it. And so they were kind of stuck with the same problem. And, you know, Valor was a cool character and all, but it's like you, you ask the average comic, you know, even some people that are really into comics, you actually about Valor, like, who the hell is that? I never heard of him. So that was the problem with him. But yeah, good call. Cause that's what they tried to do. Did you did ever watch the Supergirl TV series, Scott? The live action one? The, yeah, the new one, the one that's, that's out? on right now. Yeah. No, I, I know that they brought Monel in as a character, but no, I, I watched a little bit of that show when it first debuted, and uh, they I'll, I'll just be diplomatic and say they did some things I really didn't like. Yeah, do you see this image I'm sharing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that's that's him. Now it's funny because he and Supergirl uh, actually got married in real life. <laughs> Interesting. But like yeah. like in the show, or you're talking the actors got married. The actor and actress are are married. Oh, okay. Or at least they're together at this point. <clears throat> but he's no longer on the show. But uh, yeah, they got together because of the show. But that's as close as they could get to a Monel costume. And I'm like, it's not, why, horrible, why not? It's not bad. Why not? Yeah, but why not do it the way it, it is? You know, why not right. just do it the way the way it was? That was his costume was cool. Well, that that goes for every comic book character that's that's ever gone to live action. I have that question nine yep. times out of ten. So <laughs> now well, going all the way back to the beginning on this issue, um, I want to know what you guys think of the cover on this one. Oh, the Sienkiewicz cover! I I loved it. Um, that that's you know it's just I, I I've got you know a love hate relationship with his art, but that's definitely one of those that I love. And um, I mean it just personified what the issue is about. Right. Yeah. I suspect this was done, you know, 
separate from the issue because Dawn Star is so prominent on the cover and she's not in the issue. Yeah. Uh, or at least, you know, not part of the main part of it. So I, I suspect it was just done as like a poster image and they used it as the cover. But I love this. I, I don't know if you guys have seen. I shared an image in our chat here. Um, I actually got to meet uh, Sinkevic at a convention and uh, and I had him sign this issue for me. He signed it in white ink on the cover. That's 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 funny nice. looking scroll. It looks like bird shit or something on the yeah. cover. <laughs> that's that's his signature there at the bottom of it. So. But, uh, yeah, I love it. And, again, I know I say this all the time, but, God, I want a poster or a T-shirt of this so bad. But uh, it's just I, I love this cover. It'd be hard to replicate that in a cover because you can see a lot of his textures coming through. <clears throat> and that had to be a lot of solid colors right. that did it on a shirt. But, yeah, as a poster, I think, easily. I, I think it's a good cover. I like it. I, I don't love it. I think it's effective. Um, but, again, I think it's because I don't have a connection with these characters. So, that's probably right. It's probably biasing me. You know, I'm, uh, I do think the cover artwork is a lot better than the inside artwork. I'm not crazy about that, but it's the same problem we had when we uh, on uh, the last bins when we talked about uh, issue 37. It, there's some uh, there's some problem a lot, and mostly the facial expressions. Mm-hmm. Some of them are really um, kind of off, uh, and some of the coloring too, and that right. may be. The, I'm looking at a, this is not a scan, it's a recoloring, so maybe have to do with that, but whoever did Brainiac, uh, you, from re- looking at this, you wouldn't know that he has yellow hair. That his hair and his face, <clears throat> the tone, the hues are so close that it's hard to tell. Now, when Byrne did it, it's, it was easily distinguishable that he had yellow hair and a green face. Here, it's hard to tell. Yeah, you're right. I hadn't even noticed that, but you're right. Yeah, so often they're they're colored so similarly that it's almost flows all together yeah you're right are you reading a regular digital copy or are you reading from the trade Uh, i'm reading the copy you gave me oh okay well hmm. it's a a cbr but it's recolored you can tell it's not a scan of the actual book the coloring is too saturated and too vibrant but um the um the actual the, the trade uh is definitely very well colored so you 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 use the the proper sense of it all. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at right now. I think sometimes the green has got too much yellow in it, and that matches his hair and burn. You know, it's just mm-hmm. a, you need to change his face a little bit. See, I'm and, I'm an I'm an originals first guy. I really don't like reprints or what, but in this particular case, I, I'm now very curious to track down the trade just to see it recolored. Because yeah, I'm not crazy about the coloring in the original. I think some of the some of the problems I do have with the with the art here, I, I think some of them are attributable to the colors. Yeah, and we we had the same problem with issue thirty seven. Is that Superboy looks more like Superman? Um, yeah, and because we don't have a a comparison, maybe if he was drawing Superman, he would look very different. But in this, he just looks like an adult person. He doesn't look uh, like a sixteen or fifteen or how old how old are you supposed to be? Yeah. Um, yeah, to me, this, this, this Superboy, I mean, he's not, he's not drawn, you know, like him as far as the facial features or what, but just the, the body type mm-hmm. to me is much closer to like, say Mike Grell's Superboy, who I always took to be about 17, 18 years old. Like, like he was on the cusp of manhood, you know, yeah. 
of you know on the cusp of actually changing his name to Superman. So this Superboy here seems much older to me. I'm I'm actually thinking like 1819. Um, whereas the Superboy that Byrne just did in the two um, Superman issues that we looked at, that Superboy I'd I'd place closer to like you know between like 13 and 15, maybe 16 yeah. at the most. He he was just right. he was so slight and so much smaller and everything that I really took him to be a very very young Superboy. So it's it's interesting that you know the the art choices here really affect the perceived age of this character well even the legion characters look like adults they don't look and even in the other books, right. they, never, they don't look like they look at the least they could be maybe 18 but they look like they're 18 to 20 um and i don't know how old they're supposed to be are they supposed to be kind of kids are they supposed to be not there was at, there was a point where they said that you had to be a teenager to be in the legion but i yeah, think but they eventually at, at did the, away with that i think yeah i think at this point they'd done away with that i'm not exactly sure when that happened but now just just I, focusing I on the artwork the, a little bit uh i'm just looking at page 3 the bottom first the panel to the left and the bottom you know super, superboy taking off and flying that doesn't clumsy. just look like the coloring of the inking to me. That just looks clumsy and, and yeah. amateurish. Yeah, yeah, that's not a good image. No, I don't like that one. I like all the other shots on that page, but I don't like that one. And and it's it's breaks my heart to say that because the other images here evoke uh, almost like a like a Joe Staten feel to me because. Mm-hmm. You know that you know he's he's right up there for me as one of the quintessential Superboy artists, and and I I see a lot of that in here. But yeah, that specific panel you're pointing to, Paul. Yeah, that it's ugly. I really don't like that. It's it's clumsy. You know what he reminds me of right there? He reminds me of uh, I forget what they were called. Um, joint action. I think it was it was like a poster type of thing of Superman where you could pose the arms and legs. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you're talking. Ta- you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's what he looks like. It, it makes me think of a, a of a Ditko drawing I saw. Um, from uh, I don't know if it was Blue Beetle, Captain Adam, or something at Charlton. That's what that that image I made me think Ditko, of. I think Ditko did a little bit of Superboy. I think. Well, the panel Just prior bro. to when. Uh huh. No, sorry, Scott. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I would just say the panel above; those are Ditko eyeglasses that he's he's, he's taking them off. <laughs> yeah, it's the Peter it's, Parker look. It's the Peter Parker exactly. Right. Yeah. There's some in something we talked about in the last issue. There are some like page six. There's some sleepy-eyed people in here. Um, <laughs> that Cosmic Boy, I'm mean, that who it is on bottom of page six. He looks like he's yeah. drifting off. That's probably how Paul looks right now. It's <laughs> <laughs> about right. <laughs> no, and then there's a resonant of Superman. Um, well, page nine, Superman looks like he's fixing to fall asleep there too. And then when he he has one where he's squinting. Page thirteen, left panel middle says, "Damn you, Trapper!" And he's got one eye wide open and one eye's kind of squinted. And that's I guess his, it's his, his anger that's face. His I guess Jonah Hex face. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But Lana doesn't look as good in this one as she did in the previous issue. You know, when she's coming all on on to Clark. (laughs) (laughs) 
And here she's just eek. There, there are some real deficiencies in the art in this. I, I won't deny it. There's, there's some clunky faces. There's, there's some clunky anatomy. But I do think that the awesome, you know, when the awesome's brought, and I do think there's a lot of it. I, I, I think it overpowers the deficiencies because there's a mm-hmm. lot of stuff I see that I really like. Page 19, uh, that first panel where Superboy is flying into the sky. That's, that's just classic. That looks it, great. What it makes me think of is kind of like Keith Giffen doing the the pencils and Kurt Schaffenberger doing the inks at times yeah. when I'm looking at this. Yeah. See, I look at that, that image you just pointed out, Scott, though. I think it looks fine. I don't think it looks great. Hmm. I don't know. I, I really like that one. I, I, I think it only, it only looks great when I compare it to the rest of the art in this book. By comparison, it's great. But, you know, when I see other solid images of Superboy, I don't know, the the the, tail, the uh, trailing leg looks like it's a little off, you know, off of proportion. Uh, I don't know. I don't think it looks particularly special. I don't think the cape looks like it's really flying in the wind as he's taken off. I I think it looks okay. That's all. Yeah, I, I think some of the more awkward that, there's some weird anatomy going on in some of this, and I hate to say it, it looks to me it, it reminds me a little bit of Al Milgram. I know that's <laughs> no, it's not that's uh, you know not a great comparison, but uh, no, it's not a bad comparison. I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I I find it interesting how well they throw in the Kirby crackle when needed all through this book. And that's kind of what, what's making me think of Keith Giffen. And then the panel layout also does as well. But, you know, like if you look at that last panel on page 19, that, that to me looks like it was drawn by Giffen, that one of Superboy holding the mechanism apart or whatever he's doing there. The last panel on page 19, that looks like a Giffen panel. Is that where he says, I'm done? No, where he's going, uh, repairing what we broke, Brainy. He says, uh, if what's needed is something to channel the energies, and he's he's kind of bent over and grasping yeah. the, the mechanism. Yeah, okay. Makes you wonder if this at all inspired the scene with Thor in uh, uh, Infinity War, where he's having to hold the, um, the, the gate open so he can right. have his new, uh, new yeah. hammer uh, created. Right. Very yeah, but similar. that next page, that next page it says Giffen all over it. Wow, you know where he's he's standing there in the Krakush or Krakum, and then that last panel, which is almost Ditko esque, but is also a lot like Giffen in his later years when he went to his French style. Um, wow, right. that's yeah. Wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> Je suis en tweet. <laughs> Yes, yes. Let me see. I'm looking to see if I've got any more notes here, but I think I've pretty much pretty much covered everything here, I right. think. So we then we should rate this before I go to sleep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um you want me to go? Sure. Sure. All right. Cover on this. Uh, I'm going to give the cover an A. I would make it an A+, but again, it's I I'm convinced that this was done far in advance of the actual story i think it was done as a as kind of a poster cover issue you know it's like we can use this at some point but i don't 
it, it just doesn't give me the feel that it was specific to the issue. And again, you know, the flag, the the stance, the use of Dawnstar is kind of what, what makes me feel that way. But that said, uh, I think it's a really cool cover. It's dynamic and just putting those words on it, the greatest hero of them all with Superboy standing, you know, large and in charge in the center. It just, you know, it evokes the feeling it's supposed to. So it's, it's a really cool cover for that reason. Um, interior art. I have a feeling I'm going to be the one that's highest on the interior art. I really like it. Um, I don't like the inks. The inks to me are the problem with the deficiencies. I don't think it's Greg LaRock. I, I think very highly of Greg LaRock. I think he's a hell of a, an artist. And I, I think a lot of the wonkiness I'm seeing here is not attributable to him. I, I really think it's, uh, it's almost kind of a hatchet job by, uh, by DiCarlo. I just don't think well, he's remember, doing it. Remember, Ar- Arnie Starr also assisted on the inks. Right, and if if you look right. at it, if you look at the credits, you know it, it's got Larock and DiCarlo as artists. It doesn't say pencils right. and ink, so I think it may have been loose pencils and DiCarlo, yeah. and then Star doing the, the 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 inks in the finish. So that's a good some point. pages yeah, more so than come others. It, yeah, come to think of it, I think Larock may have been working on other titles during this time too. So yeah, it, that could very well be that it's just loose Larock. That would actually explain a lot of it. But that said, I mean, despite the deficiencies, there's a lot there's a lot more of it that I like and a lot of it that I I genuinely love than there is stuff that I don't like. Um I I think it's dynamic. I think it's well laid out even though some of it's not expertly uh you know, finished, I, I think the basic layouts of, of much of it are, are really good. I like that it's, you know, distinct and unique as, you know, a, a Larock creation, but it, you know, as we pointed out, it does owe a lot to, uh, you know, to artists that came prior to them, you know, most especially uh, Keith Giffen. There's a lot of it that's very Giffen esque and, you know, good Giffen, not the weird experimental crap he would do later on and some of the you know some of the pages are are downright you know beautiful um the one of superboy you know transporting the the bubble himself through time i love that i love the way it's laid out i love the you know the trope of you know the years passing as he's zipping through time you know we commented on that before i you know some of you guys didn't like that i love that i always think that's really cool i, I like that little trope and uh the actual page, page 24 of Superboy actually dying, um, it moves me every time. I especially like the the very last panel there of Monel just cradling Superboy's dead body in his arms. It's it's powerful to me. It's very so Neil Adamsy I, I too. Be, yeah, yeah, it is. And uh, you know, so I can't be overly harsh on it. Is it perfect? Is it you know? Is it as good as some of the other stuff we looked at? No, but it it does the job, and I, I like it for what it is. So, on that level, I think I'm going to give it a B. I, I really enjoy it. it. It definitely could use some refinement, but I I think it's it's very very good for what it is. And then the story on this one, um, honestly, I think I'm going to give the story an A plus on this. I I really can't think of anything with this particular chapter that that really bugs me. I mean, there, there's 
The only little thing I, I really caught was where, for some inexplicable reason, all of a sudden the trapper is in the Smallville High's gymnasium. That's never really explained. He's there with the Legionnaires that got frozen for what reason? And now they're in uniform, whereas I'm almost positive they weren't before. They were in their Smallville civilian clothes, I, I thought. So that's just kind of a weird continuity glitch that never really gets addressed. Um, but this, where this score, where this really scores major points with me is the trapper explaining the nature of what's happening. You know what what the threat to Smallville is, and and what the nature of of this Smallville and this Earth is. Um, it's a nice tweak from what John Byrne just laid down in the prior chapter, and I like it so much better. You know, kudos to Burn for trying, but his explanation just doesn't work for me. This one does, that this is the Trapper literally saving the pre-crisis Superboy Earth, not some weird, you know, offshoot thing that he fiddled with time and created himself. I, I just really don't like that. I like this just simply being, this is the pre-crisis Superboy, and he's trying to save him. I, that that simple explanation is enough for me and it works. So story-wise A+ plus. as an overall grade for the entire book um again I can't I can't be overly uh overly objective with this. I I love this story so I've got to give it an A+. Plus. I I think it's fantastic. I've always really thought very highly of this story and I still do. It holds up. It's a damn good story. It's just sad that it's really the last great legion story. Okay, well, I think the cover is sharp. Feel free to disagree. <laughs> I, I, did, I, I will. Uh, I think the cover is sharp, but I think it's also, you know, I think it's almost a little bit of a cheat that we're just getting silhouettes of everybody. Um, I think it, it serves a nice purpose, and it is does bring, you know, a certain amount of emotion out of it. Uh, but, you know... When you when you're just dealing with silhouettes, I almost feel like, well, I could have done that. Um, so I, I'm going to give it a B because I think it is sharp to look at, but I just feel like you know, it's it's there's something about it that keeps it from being special to me. The story I think is very solid. It's emotional. Uh, I think it it does a good job of ta- picking up what was left off in the last issue, and and you know, moving it forward to its very emotional ending. So I'm going to say an A on the story. Uh, but the interior art, uh, you and I really disagree. I think the art in this is really rough. I think it's just, I, I look at it and it just, I cringe a little bit, uh, especially some of the face work. And, you know, you, you want to credit it to the inker that, you know, the the problems. I have no problem with that. But, you know, inking is still part of the artwork. So it, it all counts. Uh, and, and, you know, Tim was pointing out some of the coloring deficiencies that I think are there also. I, 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 I it, it's not a comfortable read to look at these pictures. Uh, so I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a D on the artwork. I, I really just really do not like it at all. Uh, I don't think it's an F cause I do think there are a couple of images that, that bring it up, but I, I just don't like the artwork. Uh, so it makes it hard to rate the whole thing, but I do think that the story 
props it up over the artwork, and I'm going to say a B for something where, I, like I said, I really didn't like the way it looked. Cool. Here we go, Brian. You want me to go? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I am not as enamored with the uh, cover as much as uh, Scott and not quite uh, Paul, but let me give the cover, uh, I think, a B plus because it is, I think it's effective. It's good. I like the panelly feel of it. Uh, you can see some of the textures or however, um, however Sienkiewicz created that. I think that's kind of neat to see that. The story, I should probably rate it higher, but I'm going to rate it a B, a good solid B, because, uh, again, I'm not as emotionally attached or familiar with these characters, so it's a little... I'm mean, like a stranger coming to it and reading it, so that makes me stand off a little bit. But it does, it's a nice ending to this, the th other three issues we were reading. Uh, it does tie it up. Uh, it, I'm sure if I read Superboy, I'd be a little more emotionally uh, involved with this. So I think, uh, I can't I can't feel what you're feeling, Scott, but that's just because I don't have the history there. But I don't want to take that away from it. So I think it's, um, it's a good solid B for the story. And the artwork is... Uh, I agree with Paul. It, it, it seems very rough in some areas. Uh, a lot of the, it's mostly in the faces, which is where I think you'd want the, your best art. But uh, because of some of the inconsistency with the coloring and some of the, the, just the anatomy seems a little off, uh, I'm going to give it the art, uh, the inside art is C plus. So overall, I think that gives me about a B minus for the whole, the, uh, the whole story. And I, I didn't, just now thought of this, but this is kind of a touching moment when Super was dying. He's telling Monel, you know, take care of the earth. You know, it's the nicest, you know, basically take care of my parents, take care of the earth. I was born there, you know. So I, you know, obviously I don't think Monel is going to be able to go back to that earth. But I think what really kind of kicks this in the face is, you know, I don't know what, two years later, whenever Byrne finishes up his Superman, he just oh, yeah. destroys that planet. Absolutely obliterates it. So there's nothing left yeah. to save. So Mom, Pa yeah. Kent dead, crypto dead. <laughs> Everybody. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I you know it, this is one of those that, that I've got that kind of I don't want to call it a love hate relationship or anything, but you know, I, I definitely had a lot of uh emotions on it when I was younger. Um the cover, I loved it. I loved uh at the time. So I'm, I'm giving the cover an A. The story, well, to be honest, it pissed me off. Back then, it pissed me off. Years later, I can read it and appreciate it. And I'm going to sit there somewhere, probably a high C on the story, just because I hold that long of a grudge. Um, but the art, I'm not, I'm not as bad on. I'm going I'm to go ahead and give the art uh, a B to B minus, just because... I can see what LaRock's trying to do, and the you know the Kirby crackle and other effects in there are pretty good. It seems to be the inconsistency of the inks that that hurt it more than anything. So um, that I'm going to give the the art just basically a B B minus. So that throws me basically in there as a probably about a B B minus altogether with everything. Ooh, but Excellent. yeah, this one pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> well you know and, and i'm gratified you know to find out that you know i mean really from the, the story point that it doesn't seem to really get touched on much after this does it 
And no. Superboy's death. Superboy's death is not in this comic like Jean Grey's was in X Men after one thirty seven, where Claremont found any and every reason to sit there and make him think about her. Oh, the sky is gray. Is gray. I'm thinking of Jean Grey, or you know, <laughs> this is a beautiful mountain vista. Jean Grey would have loved that, you know. But you know, again, I I didn't read it, so I don't know. Were they like that afterwards? Were they, you know, Superboy would have loved this. Uh, I miss him, all that. Or was he pretty much gone from thought no, after that? I, I haven't read every single issue from from here to the end of the series. And mm-hmm. what I have read is has been a very long time. So this this is just my memory. But to my memory, they immediately um, distance themselves from Superboy. And I think that was something of a company mandate. Plus Must the fact been, that yeah. Levitt's... From what I've read, Levitz always wanted the opportunity to... One of the reasons he was such a longtime writer of the Legion and the reason he kept returning to the Legion, he liked that it was an insular title that really wasn't attached to anything else. So he didn't have to worry about coordinating with the other houses. He didn't have to worry about what was happening in Batman or Superman or Wonder Woman in -hmm. order to tell his stories. And so this opportunity to cut himself off from all of that permanently with the death of Superboy played to his his strengths, you know, and, and the things that he wanted to do. So to my memory, I don't remember any mention of Superboy again, not even like seeing his statue or anything until we get to um, uh, what you call it, zero hour. And when he pops back in, because Zero Hour was another crisis-like event where the the whole time, you know, the nature of time was being fiddled with, some of the Legionnaires didn't even recognize him. They didn't even know who the hell he was, and some of them oh, did. Okay. And, and so it, there was this whole big paradox thing happening. Um, but even when he came back, it was very brief. He, he pops in to help them in a battle. And then he pops up in that Superboy book, and then that's pretty much it, and he's gone again. And to my recollection, that that's been it for him. I don't think he's ever popped back in again since. But then. yeah, and, and and that kind of it's like goes against what Levitz had done before, because you know when you read the Levitz run, we read the, even the runs coming up before that, which I think was Carrie Bates, if I remember right. But um, they would constantly bring up Invisible Kid, who died at the hands of Validus. Right. Right. Uh, and and yeah. then there was Feral Lad who you know flew into the sun with the with the device to destroy it. You know, they were talking about these guys and there are parts of plots and everything. Um, it just you know it, it seemed like that's they had to have been mandated to not talk about it or Levitt, it, so it was just done with it at that point. If he never brought him back up again, because they they I, love to bring that stuff up. I think it was a little of both, but I, I, I suspect it was, you know, more than anything, it was a company mandate to, okay, we've, you know, we're done with this. So, you know, don't let's, let's not reference it anymore because they were really trying to go with the new continuity and, and embrace that. And they wanted to try to avoid the, the, the pitfalls of the prior DC you know, by making things too convoluted and complex and confusing for new readers, because they had gained a shit ton of new readers um, 
you know, after crisis and with the reboots and, you know, having guys like Byrne and Perez over at DC, they, they really had gained a lot of new readers. So the last thing they wanted to do was, you know, disenfranchise those people by having these convoluted, weird references to old continuity. So they capped off Superboy and then pretty much never talked about him again, at, at least to my memory anyway. No, I'm just saying that when it when I read that, I, I got mad. I remember being in my apartment back then off of Hill and, and just uh, throwing something. I don't remember what I threw, but I was really pissed. Not the comic, I hope. <laughs> no, 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 no. I took care of my comics, but uh, I threw something. You know, I'd be sitting in my on my couch reading, you know, the stack of books that I got then. And uh, I just it's probably a can empty, though. You know, but um, I, yeah, that that really torqued me off. But again, that was thirty plus years ago, so I've gotten over it. Well, I've I loved it right out of the gate, and I I still love it today. I, I hold it up as as one of the greats. But well, we have uh, we have been talking for hours, so we should probably go ahead and wrap this whole thing up. Uh, I, I really I want to thank you guys for not only uh, coming on the show to discuss this, but. Uh, for doing this whole crossover event with us. I, I had a blast. I hope you guys did too. Oh, it's always, always a pleasure to, to come over. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks. And we'll see you next week. From a doomed planet in a distant galaxy. To a fantastic underground hideaway. From the fortress of solitude to the bustling city room of the Daily Planet. Look, up on the screen. It's Superman. Superman, the movie. Bill? 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 Bill?